Welcome to Podcasts from Cumberland Lodge. Today we will be speaking to Greg Hurst, Social Affairs Correspondent at The Times. Welcome, Greg. Thank you. In the aftermath of the Brexit vote, do you think that the referendum has exposed more divisions in our society? I think the referendum clearly did expose uh, divisions, and one of the most striking things was how little understanding there was uh, among people on different sides of the debate in different parts of the country, uh, some of which were um, very largely remain and some of which were um, overwhelmingly to leave, also between um, young and old. Within communities, for example, uh, in many university towns and cities, there was a very strong remain vote, and yet in some cases in the communities very near to the campuses, there was a strong leave vote. So I think these divisions were very much uh, an uncomfortable fact of the referendum. I think that the aftermath has been slightly different in that the focus now has shifted onto what happens, how to make this work, and I think that there's more pragmatism at stake here and a, a sense of waiting to see what the outcome is of the negotiation and the eventual deal that Britain may or may not get. Mm. And, and do you think this has created new divisions in society or has it just exposed divisions that were already there? My instinct is it exposed divisions uh, that, were, that were there, brought some um, uncomfortable um, divisions geographically, generationally uh, to the surface and these were very evident during the referendum campaign itself. Mm. Um, do you think it's exposed divisions along socio-economic lines as well? It's very much so, yes. I think that there was clearly a view that there is a privileged socio-economic group that have done very well out of our membership of the EU, and there's a large group of um, our citizens who've done less well, particularly, for example, due to the large-scale immigration of EU citizens that have come to live here. And uh, there's a feeling of that some, in some cases, British citizens' work and, and identities have been displaced by that great movement. Mm. I mean, we're recording this podcast on the day that Theresa May, the Prime Minister, has triggered Article 50. Um, how, how do you think we can now pull people back together as a nation? Um, some of the uh, divisions were not helped by the uh, rhetoric of the referendum itself, the tone of the referendum. Um, but that is politics, that is campaigning, and I don't think we need to um, revisit that um, campaigning atmosphere. I think the, the fact of leaving can be conducted in a very different spirit. The way it's done need not be strident, uh, divisive, confrontational. So I think the way in which it's done will be important. Mm. Turning now to um, young people and the challenges that they faced in society today, a 2014 government report on young people's social attitudes suggested that low levels of trust and a sense of being undervalued or treated unfairly can cause social cohesion to be eroded. Do you agree with that statement? I, I do. There's always a danger of um, uh, assuming there has been a golden age where things like trust uh, were at a premium, society was harmonious, and that's rarely been the case. Uh, but I think we're at a particular junction now where wage growth for people who do have jobs has been very slow or almost static, and yet the, um, uh, the wealth accrued by people, uh, many people in retirement is substantial, and you have a very unusual situation 
where an older generation has done very well out of uh, rises in house prices, uh, final salary pensions, and government um, promises to protect the uh, old age pension, and people in work who are on um, average or lower wages are finding life more of a struggle. And so that is a big cause of intergenerational dysfunction. It's, it's not, I'm not saying, suggesting that families within themselves are falling out, but I think um, generationally it's always tended to be the case that uh, each generation can aspire to be better off than the last, even if the aspiration isn't matched by reality. But that's suddenly for this current generation, very starkly, not obvious that that will be the case. And I think that is a new dynamic that we have to confront. And what role do you think that education has to play in all of this, in, in promoting more um, tolerant, inclusive societies? Uh, education is critical to uh, not only to people's understanding of one another, but equipping people to lead uh, independent and successful lives. So there is a, you could have an assumption that you could teach children at school about things like uh, tolerance, inclusivity, how to live alongside one another. Uh, and schools do have um, lessons, PSHE, which is personal health, social and economic education, where they talk about some of these issues. But there's another um, argument that just a good education equips people to be successful, to live independently, to be resilient and to achieve their ambitions. So I'd probably take the latter view that um, you don't need to instruct children um, to be tolerant, but you can provide them with a very um, robust, good education with, with excellent teaching, stable, um, supportive um, school communities that will help them lead successful lives independently without these um, tensions that can, can come sometimes through, not only through ignorance, but through inability to achieve or to be independent. So, in a sense, education can can help us to heal these divisions between the generations, almost, and to uh, address inequalities. Uh, education certainly is uh, a route to um, address inequality, and uh, another role that schools, in particular, can play is to um, build bridges and to open up understanding of uh, different ways of life, different faiths, different um, outlooks on the world, and so a strong school will be an outward-facing community where its children, even if they, they its children are from a, a largely uh, similar backgrounds, they can take children out to explore other places of worship, to explore different um, uh, work environments, uh, different ways of thinking, and so children's uh, assumptions and home lives are uh, challenged and informed by different experiences. Mm. Thank you. Now Cumberland Lodge is very much a place for bringing people together um, to learn about each other, people coming from different perspectives, different backgrounds, different outlooks, um, and we're, we're a place for constructive dialogue. What role do you think that that dialogue has um, in addressing social divisions today? I think it's very impressive that Cumberland Lodge has kept a focus on young people and so when I've visited previously and I, I talked to uh, a group of PhD candidates, for example, and uh, one of the emphases that I see Cumberland Lodge has is on helping um, give opportunities to students or early career academics. And so 
uh, I think it's very encouraging that there is a place where younger um, people uh, at the beginning of uh, an academic career or, or a, a career where they are going to influence um, and shape thinking can come together, can um, share ideas, but can also listen and to learn new perspectives. Uh, and so this dialogue, this engagement, seems to be a very important uh, opportunity. Mm. Thank you very much, Greg. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. This recording was made in 2017, the 70th anniversary of Cumberland Lodge as an educational foundation. To find out more about the educational and charitable work of Cumberland Lodge, please go to cumberlandlodge.ac.uk.